Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag BigStrongYes for announcements and discussion. Follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at BSY for Big Strong Yes at chipperish.com. If you're a Patreon supporter, we have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support. It's intimate, private to the Patreon supporters who go into that room, and you can go over 140 characters. Join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. Yes, this reading we're going to be discussing today is Rising Strong Chapter 5, The Rumble, which is going to be interesting because that was really Ooh. tough. Man. <laughs> and next week's reading is Rising Strong, Chapter 6, Sewer Rats and Scoff Laws, which is honestly one of my favorite chapter titles, like, ever. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> well, and it's it's funny because Chapter 5 was tough. Yeah. But but I remember Chapter 6 as yeah. that, that is the hardest part of this entire book for me. Oh, and yeah. so you might have to be pulling me along through some sewer rats, girl, because okay. chapter six. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> as hard as this episode is going to be, I just can't wait for next. <laughs> just what I, think. I know right before we started, <sighs> we were both like, OK, can we just skip to big magic? Can we just like go <laughs> right to the fun stuff. Yeah, this is going to get fun. Like this is really going to get fun. Yes. But we, we have to do this hard work first in order to be able to make the most out of the fun stuff. Yes. And uh, and it has been incredibly challenging. Yes, it is. This has been really hard. But, you know, we're we're doing our work before we play, I guess. Yeah, I guess and, we are. I'm looking forward to the play, <laughs> yeah. man. Oh, no, me too. But I did think, I mean, I know we, we talked a lot about possibly starting in a different order. And yeah. even when we read the books personally, like we both read Big Magic first and then came mm-hmm. back. Um, well, actually, I read Rising Strong, cried my eyes out, read Big Magic, and then came back <laughs> to Rising Strong. And then like push the misery on you like here this broke my heart you should totally read it hi this destroyed me enjoy <laughs> right right this ripped me to little pieces i think you'll Aww. love it <laughs> but but i think just from a listener's perspective had we started with big magic then like that agreement between writer and reader we would have violated yeah. by then shifting yeah. to rising strong i think so, so too i think this has to come first but holy crap so with that, yeah. <laughs> we, we had homework last week. Lonnie, how'd it go? We did. Um, it went okay. My homework was that I was supposed to write permission slips, and I did. Um, I didn't get post-it notes. I did it in Google Keep because I am kind of a digital girl. Like, I yeah. just I live within this digital space. So, and I've got Google Keep everywhere, and I use it for, you know, like notes and shopping lists and, like, everything that I need to just remember I will put in Google Keep. So I created a, um, like, a a section in Google Keep that was just permission slips. And I wrote out a few permission slips, one of which was that I gave myself permission to hate the idea and concept of permission slips. So that was kind of fun. Um, I did a couple of them. And as much as like, honestly, and this is one of the things I keep going back to, if you resist something, you know, it's probably something that you need to do. 
Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my experience with uh, with the permission slips that I, I didn't do very many of them. I think I did like three, maybe four, you know, um, but they were actually helpful in the process of, of giving myself permission for, you know, some specific things. Just writing it out. And again, I think it's it's part of the journaling. It's part of that whole process. It's like a different access point to the journaling, which yeah. I also think is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also hate doing. Um, so I think it gave me another place to have a, an SFD, you know, a shitty first draft. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, and so I think it, it was it was pretty valuable. How did your homework turn out? Well, I loved your permission slips and so I totally <laughs> wish that that had been my homework um, and I had never heard of Google Keep so oh, I'm yeah. gonna explore that so mm-hmm. I was supposed to journal and collage which I did mm-hmm. and to practice breathing which I did not <laughs> so um, I did practice the box breathing method that Dr. Brown talked about in chapter four a couple of times mm-hmm. and it just felt like I was running out of breath <laughs> oh, so right. I, I'm not sure. I'm not doing it right Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the day after we recorded the podcast and then the regular work week started and all breathing practice flew out the window. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is just my ongoing struggle with mindfulness. Like uh-huh. remembering to practice the breathing was what was impossible, not the breathing right. itself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know it's difficult for me personally to adopt new good habits and to change bad habits. So this is both a huge challenge and a huge opportunity area for me. So that homework, I get an incomplete. I'm not going to give myself an F, right? I'm not going to go with that. I'm not going to fail, but no, I'm going to give myself no, an incomplete. No, there's no grading. There's, I know that you're a professor, know, you're a teacher so at heart. Hard. There's no grading on this stuff. You, yeah. you do it. And if you don't do it, then just pass it into next week. Like yes. do the breathing, have that as part of your homework again and, yeah. and kind of come back to it. Cause sometimes it takes a while and that mindfulness is, um, is probably my biggest challenge. I, mm-hmm. I've never been, I don't enjoy being like mindful, being aware. It's, it's not fun for me. I don't think it's fun for anybody, but I think that it is incredibly valuable. And um, so, I mean, I try to to have that mindfulness and, and some of the work that we're doing with Rising Strong has definitely helped a bit with that, mm-hmm. but it's also a process. Like you can't expect to be able to just do everything right away. It takes practice and it takes time and, and everything can't be perfect right from the beginning. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you can't go from, you know, autopilot, right. which is how I do most of my, you know, regular sure. days mm-hmm. into, you know, mindfulness all the time. Yeah, it's, I know. So, but I still want to learn. And mm-hmm. I do want to, I do want to, to practice. It's you know? all practice, so, you know, mm-hmm. and it takes, it just takes time. Yeah. So I know that it was reminded me of this. Um, I love Mary Shapen Carpenter. I love her music oh, yeah. and I love the lyrics that she writes. And she has this old song where it says, you do your breathing the best you can. I think it's like between carpool or cell phone calls or something. I don't remember yeah. the exact wording, <laughs> but I always, I used to hear that you do your breathing the best you can. And I was like, how do you try to like, you just breathe, right? It's not right. something you think about. <laughs> Well, <laughs> come to uh-huh. find out, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, it really is. Yeah. So it's a good, um, it's a good opportunity. So you, you gave me some ideas for this too, about mm-hmm. looking into an Apple watch, um, for all kind of reminders because oh, yeah. I do struggle so much with, um, mindfulness and, and mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm like a, I'll fall down a deep hole. Like I would rather work intently on, on a deep idea or work projects for six to eight hours at a time without taking mm-hmm. a break. Like I like to, you know, oh, yeah. to go deep and I hate interruption. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think that that might be a good way to build in some mindfulness yeah. and a hell of a great excuse for getting an Apple watch. Oh so, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking at that. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we, we mentioned the forums on the introduction mm-hmm. of each show. Yeah. But it really is amazing how much I'm learning from people who participate mm-hmm. there. I mean, we've got some incredibly oh, yeah. smart, creative, open, caring people participating oh, yeah. in this with us. Mm-hmm. And several of them mentioned uh, Gretchen Rubin's idea of four tendencies. And it's kind of like her theory of four like four mindsets we have toward habits. Mm -hmm. Uh And um, so everybody was talking about it on the forums. And then a friend of mine said, Hey, Kelly, go take the quiz. And so I did. (laughs) And, um, and my habit personality is a rebel, which I Mm -hmm. completely believe because I don't want (laughs) to, I don't, I don't want to be told what to do and I don't want to tell myself what to do. And Uh I don't, I just don't want to. So um she has a new book coming out called The Four Tendencies in September, and I uh-huh. plan on studying that. So at least it's helpful to understand that I'm not the only person that struggles with this and that there may yeah. be some, you know, some ways to learn. But, uh, yeah, I got a ways to go. Oh. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Well, that sounds really interesting. I, have, I haven't gone to the website and, and figured out what I am, but I'll, I'll go and check it out and find out what my tendency is. And then maybe we'll oh, pick yeah. that book up in September. Yeah, That would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. To compare our habit tendencies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do that. All right. Awesome. (laughs) So um, how did you do with reflecting from the last episode? How are you feeling over this last week? God, it was a really tough week for me. I Mm -hmm. I processed a lot of stuff. I've been kind of uh, going through this whole thing where I'm, I'm trying to reckon you know Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like have an awareness like when I feel something what my ordinary response to having an emotion especially an emotion that I don't feel comfortable with is to just pretend that it's not there you know you Mm -hmm. just whistle past it right you're just like no everything's (laughs) fine everything's fine it's fine you know um and uh so I I started to reckon I had a few instances where I was actually able to to gain the mindfulness to kind of stop where I was and think about about what I was feeling, like actually address what I was feeling instead of going into this, how do I stop feeling this way? Which is usually what I do. Like, Mm. what do I have to do to stop feeling like this? You know, Mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Um, And instead I thought about, okay, how am I feeling? You know, where is this happening in my body? How is this presenting? Um, And so I won't say that I'm perfect at it. I won't say that I don't fall back into that. How do I stop feeling this way? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think that I have gained a certain amount of consciousness and the idea of of reckoning not being that you have to find the answer you just have to be aware you know that there's something going on I think was really like a, a valuable thing for me and then um you know we had the fourth of July last week and uh and on that day uh I, I started this texting with you we had this text chain and uh, somehow I hit on just some really, really deep, raw stuff that was incredibly difficult for me. And then the next day I had a therapy session where I just spent the entire hour just weeping the entire time. (laughs) And, um, and I mean, it was, it was valuable. I kind of isolated, I think one really important thing that I need to pay attention to. And while I don't feel great, 
mm-hmm. I do feel a little bit better. Um, but another thing that happened this week, uh, which was kind of crazy, is that I hit this crash. Um, I've talked about the crash a little bit. Often I've talked about the crash with regard to creative endeavors. Like when I write a book, you know, I Mm -hmm. write a book, I go into it like a thousand percent. And then as soon as I'm done, I would get exhausted. Like I would die for a week at the end of every book that I wrote. And I, it took me a while to figure out what that was, but the crash is what happens when you borrow energy from next week in order to get through today. Um, like, you know, the, you hear that story, right, about the woman whose kid is like trapped under a car or a heavy tree and a hundred pound woman is able to go and lift the car, you know, and get the kid out <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's like this big, heroic, exciting thing, like the little woman who can lift a car, you're just like Buffy, you know. Um, <laughs> and what they don't tell you is that the next day that woman is useless, like she has nothing left she used it all to get through that moment and this is what crisis mode does to you um we borrow energy kind of against the future and when things start to get better that energy bill comes due you know and you just crash and i crashed so hard this week i mean i would get home from work with barely enough energy to crawl into bed and fall asleep i just could not function and I think it's a good sign. I mean, I think it means that I'm out of crisis, you mm-hmm. know, because I've been seriously in crisis for like six months or even longer because shit started to fall apart before that. And I had no idea what was happening. But um, but I mean, it's it's like been such a hard, constant state of crisis for so long. And now I'm finally at the point, I think, where I can start to heal from all that crisis, you know, but it's, it's been incredibly difficult and I'm so, I'm feeling a little better now, but like most Mm -hmm. of this week I was just useless. Like I had nothing. And, uh, and that's really hard for me to, to grapple with because my whole thing is about, I'm a, I'm a woman of action. I take action. I do shit. Like that's, you know, that's how I get through the day is by doing shit. And when I couldn't do anything, when I couldn't take action, when all I could do was like lie down and sleep, um, it was a little difficult for me. I struggled with that. I'm really glad you're feeling a little better. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if I would necessarily describe it as better. I'm feeling different. Okay. (laughs) Different is good. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, taking time for healing is important, even if you have to crash a little, you know. Yeah, and you do. When you borrow that energy, it's just, the bill comes due. It eventually does. It always does. Well, your theory about the crash opened up an important door for me, Mm -hmm. um, because I've heard you describe it before with, in the context of creative work, Mm -hmm. and it made sense. But I had never really connected it with, you know, personal struggle, um, yeah. what I call survival mode. <laughs> and, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and looking back, I said, I, you know, it helped me realize that I borrowed so much future energy with such force of will for like a decade. Oh, yeah. You know, getting through graduate school and, and building a career and parenting on my own and that feeling exhausted all the time just became normal. And and, and the thing is, it's not normal. It's (laughs) it's not, you know, it's not good. But I have gotten used to it, like so used to Mm -hmm. it that I don't even question being exhausted all the time. Um, And so it really kind of helped that click into place for me 
So yeah. even though, mm-hmm. like, I hate going to the doctor with a fiery passion, oh, um, yeah. I am going to meet my primary care doc, who is wonderful. I love her. She mm-hmm. is fabulous. Um, and get oh, some, good. you know, lab work done and, and just, more importantly, stop accepting a constant state of exhaustion as normal because I'm tired of being tired. You know, oh, yeah. but mm-hmm. if you hadn't kind of given me like the theoretical framework <laughs> of the crash, I don't know that that would have slid into place for me. So, oh, yeah, but that makes sense. Know. I mean, you're a single mom. I, I don't I honestly I look at you and I have no idea how you did what you did. How Not you very got well. PhD. <laughs> Not no, you very did. well. You got your freaking PhD. No, like it's it's amazing what you've done <sighs> and you should be incredibly proud of it. But I mean, yeah, that's going to take so much because when you have kids and you have things you have to do and you have a job you have to do and you've got all this stuff, like you end up getting into this constant energy debt. You know, it's this constant state of having, having to borrow against the future, you know, and then you do get into this place where you're just tired all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and it can be really, really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, improving health and energy is going to require building new Mm -hmm. habits, um, completely obliterating. Which always sucks. Oh God, it sucks. (laughs) Um, And focusing more on physical, which of course Mm -hmm. is not my space. I want to stay in the headspace. And oh, yeah. that brings up a huge wall of resistance for me. Um, so that's going to be a challenge. Oh, but that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> one mm-hmm. other reflection I had this week, and I can't decide if I'm tickled by this or embarrassed by this. And so I'm just going <laughs> to lay it out there for both. Because <laughs> I went back and listened, you know, to, to our last episode. Yeah. And yeah. I realized that you were incredibly kind and like lovely to me in several points. And as soon as you said something incredibly nice, I either froze, stuttered or changed the subject (laughs) and (laughs) never acknowledged or said, thank you. Or said, Oh my God, I love you too. And I was laughing at myself thinking, Oh my God, somebody listening to this is going to be like, she is such a bitch. <laughs> like, no, girl, no. learn how to say thank you. But um, but it, there was some interesting conversation around just this topic in general on Twitter mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. week with some other lovely women who do amazing things. And the minute you point out the, the loveliness, it's like, okay, I, I don't like I don't know how to accept this compliment. And yeah. and it's not false modesty and it's not um, humility. Like mm-hmm. I actually squirm in my chair when you say things like that to me and then I'm like, all right, next topic, next topic, let's go. And <laughs> like that is not Did you notice that gonna... I do the same thing? No, because I was too busy criticizing myself. To notice you I do the same it. thing. You say the loveliest things to me, and I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Let's move on. Like <laughs> it is, it is very difficult. But you know, it is something that you do have to learn how to do. Like we all have to learn how to do that. Um, and it is when somebody says something nice to you, and I struggle with this all the time. Usually, what I do is, you know, I've learned to say thank you, and then mm-hmm. I deflect. I've learned yes. to say, oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about how you're <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about you're awesome. And then like, so I think that you and I were batting like the awesome badminton back and forth, you know, and you're awesome. I would no, say something nice to you awesome. and you'd be like, oh, you know, that's great, but you're fantastic. And I'd be like, no, thank you. But you're fantastic. And, <laughs> you know, and I think that it's something that I think it's something like, honestly, like a lot of women I know do this. I'm sure the men do it too, but 
Yeah. I notice it a lot in, in women that it is really, really difficult to hear anything good about ourselves and accept it. Yes. And that is a huge struggle. And, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I think that maybe there's an element of self-protection, like, you know, don't get too big for your britches. Like, cause as soon as you, as soon as you start to say, Hey, I'm awesome. Like the first thing is that somebody's going to want to bat you down. Somebody's going to want to knock you down and tell you that you are not as great as you think you are, you know, and all this yeah. stuff. And it's, I've struggled with it for a while and I've actually um, been, been working on this for like seriously years, like this idea of claiming my awesome. Mm -hmm. And I actually do this whole speech for writers. I know. And I <laughs> love is, it. I know. You are so a, great a great writer. writer speech. <laughs> I'm a great writer speech. I'm a great I writer. I do this whole thing and I say... <laughs> People are going to line up 10 deep to tell you you suck. Don't do their work for them, right? I have a speech. It is my signature speech. I end every workshop with this speech. I made a room of 400 people stand up and all of them say, I'm a great writer and like shout it out <laughs> to the point where the people at the other conference hall were mad at us and all this kind of stuff. Like it was, I do this whole thing. I do this whole song and dance, you know, and I try really hard to claim my awesome as often as I can. Mm -hmm. And I still struggle with it. You know, it is yeah. it is still really difficult for me. And um, and I think that, like, I love it when other people do it, though. Like, I love it when somebody, you know, stands up and says, yeah, I rock. Like, I love that. I find that so inspiring. And I try to do it. But every time I do it, part of me is disingenuous. Part of me doesn't really feel that way. Like I want to feel that way. I'm kind of like faking it until I make it, you know, mm -hmm. and I try to, I try to claim that. But every time I claim my awesome, you know, um, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with it. You I know, am like too. deep down inside. Yeah. I'm very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And, or, um, or I yeah. feel like I have to add qualifiers. Like I can right. say, I'm a great writer in academic setting. I know APA style and I'm great at writing exactly. passive third, you know, <laughs> person sentences <laughs> with research and footnotes like right. I have to qualify it and uh, but but it was interesting you know I did sort of try to do the reckoning with that feeling mm -hmm. um and oh, actually good. I did write about how did I feel physically uh -huh. Uh -huh. which was new and different um because I noticed I did actually fidget in my chair <laughs> and <gasps> so it it made me feel like itchy like seriously yeah. so it could be that I'm allergic to <laughs> receiving compliments. You're allergic to I'm compliments. allergic to compliments. Uh, wow. But it, it does make me physically uncomfortable. And oh. so I don't know what to do with that yet, but I think the realization was a good one. So for yeah. everyone listening, I love Lonnie and I think she's wonderful. <laughs> and I, oh, I was not like smirking over the compliments. So I was like, oh, oh my, you know. I, I didn't like, even hear that from you. I oh, heard it from me. I noticed no. when I did it, but I, I didn't even hear it from you. <laughs> no, I think it was the equivalent of you hang up first. No, you hang up no, first. No, you hang up first. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but oh, God. So anyway, it, but it is just yeah. interesting. Um, and judging mm -hmm. from the the comments that we've heard from other people, we are not the only two who struggle with this. No, a lot of oh. this stuff is universal. Like a lot of people are coming into the the Discord um, chat over on Patreon has been, God, these people have been sharing insights and yeah. and things. I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's so valuable to me. I mean, I read everything that's in there. I don't comment terribly often because for yeah. some reason I don't know why. And again, this is this whole like personal value thing. It's like I feel like you know. 
like if I come in and I start commenting on stuff and I start talking about like, you know, all my stuff that's going on, I feel like I take the air out of the room because I'm like one of the people on the podcast and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. I want everybody to have their space and to be able to talk about this stuff without feeling like I'm overwhelming the conversation. Does that sound stupid? No, I struggle with that too. And, and, and again, this is new for Mm me. Um, and I, I read the stuff on the forums. I read everything. I read everything on discord, but I feel like at what point, am I steering the conversation too much? Right. Like, and I don't want to do that. And also they're not there to listen to me. Like they're there to talk to right, each this other. This is their space. Right? Like, that's the thing too. I feel like I get my space. I get to talk on the podcast. You right. know, I get my space to talk about things. And so, and I also don't want to come in and be like, Oh, well, here's my advice for you. Because I feel like being on the podcast gives me a level of authority that I have absolutely no right to, because I am just as lost in this process <laughs> as anybody. <laughs> You know, so I don't know, like I feel so I just want everybody to know that like I am reading every single thing you guys say and I am amazed and just like impressed so much with everything. And the only reason I'm not commenting is because I don't want to take the air out of the room and yeah, uh, and I just too. don't want to move mm-hmm. into that space. But God, I love what everybody's saying. It's so valuable and it's so helpful, especially when they come in and they say like there's some people who have come in and said, you know, I, I had somebody gaslight me, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody gaslight you, like it just, it fucks with your reality so horribly. And it's something that I don't think until it happens to you that you can really like understand what that's like, Right. you know? I mean, it's, it's such an incredible violation of, of who you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I really appreciate the people who are coming in and sharing their stories and sharing their incredibly vulnerable stuff because yeah. it does, it's so, it's so helpful. Like I am not in a position of authority on this. I am struggling through all of this. Like it is, it is hard and I am not on top of this. You know, I mean, when yeah. I'm doing stuff about storytelling, I am on top of it. I've got it. I know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about mm-hmm. here. I am just as lost. I am the blind leading the blind. So I got, <laughs> nothing you know <laughs> and uh and it's really so incredibly helpful that that people are coming in and sharing their stories and talking about their experiences and even if their experiences aren't like mine you know right. just that that level of vulnerability and honesty mm-hmm. that people are bringing to the forum and to the discord chat has been so incredibly helpful and healing and comforting right you know just to know that you're not alone in going through all of this yeah and I feel exactly the same way um and I I had worried for a while so I've I've been a teacher for a long time and I teach online and so a discussion forum feels like class you know and Mm -hmm. that is not the purpose right that is not the purpose of that forum right um and so I have had a few folks kind of you know like direct message me on Twitter that's great if you have something specific you want to ask right or, you know something mm-hmm. that you don't want to bring up then that's fantastic and I will absolutely answer um but I feel like that it we do read it and we appreciate it and man I am learning so much from oh, the yeah. people in there but mm-hmm. I do want to kind of keep that as a safe space and the other right. sort of side to this um is that you and I are both working through this we it's not Mm -hmm. like we worked through this book and then came and did the podcast oh right So like we're doing this in real time um (laughs) y'all the struggle is real struggle is real y'all and (laughs) i am not in a position to Mm -hmm. teach this you know to anyone either Mm -hmm. not to be an authority on it and not to be an expert on it and i also never want to fall into the role of 
like an arm, you know, what do they call it? An armchair psychologist or something. Right. Oh, where, yeah. Because you know, we're not qualified. No, we're not qualified I am not. For that. <laughs> My PhD is not in psychology. You know, you want to talk about learning theory yeah. and curriculum? Mm-hmm. I'm your girl. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to ever provide advice with a limited mm-hmm. amount of data and steer someone in the wrong direction. You know, because right. that is that is just not or or give somebody some feedback or something that actually does more damage. Exactly. Because you don't because we don't know. Like I am not a psychologist. I don't That's know. Right. Like I you know, I know what I'm I'm working through, but yeah, like I, I'm not qualified mm-hmm. to give anybody advice on anything other than storytelling. Like that right. is it. You know, but, if you want yeah. writing advice, absolutely come yeah. to me. But yeah. Right. But there's a big difference between giving advice and um giving encouragement. And I yes. do think, mm-hmm. you know, as the whole group, you know, can encourage each other and I can, yeah. you know, definitely encourage anyone if you are asking, you know, specifically, hey, I, I'm struggling mm-hmm. with doing this, then we can certainly mm-hmm. encourage and, and lift you up and, and all of those things. Yeah. And I love how people are supporting each other. Yes, on there. they're wonderful. wonderful. So, so uh, with that yeah. huge... Um, yes. What are we doing? Procrastinating, right? Right. Uh, yeah, we, we are. Uh, we, <laughs> gee, uh, you think we can avoid we this reading any longer? Reading? Is there anything oh else that we can? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I got to start off, though. I got to start the conversation about the reading with a little bit of a warning. Um God, this chapter was hard for me. I mean, you know, every week I come in and I say, oh, this chapter was really hard. Next week it'll be better. Um, and that has not been my experience um, because every week it's really, really hard. Um, and I actually was feeling after going through it, um, especially after this week where I was so exhausted and I had that big emotional kind of breakdown in the middle of the week, I'm feeling like a little physically sick. You know, like my stomach is sick. And the thing is, is that like I am absolutely working from the wound, not the scar. I know we've covered that a couple of times, but Mm -hmm. it's a terrible thing because there's so much stuff that I'm saying and that I'm expressing that I'm not sure is is right or proper or appropriate. But I'm so I'm in such a raw space that I don't know what is right and proper and appropriate. So uh, so for the people who are who are in current trauma, who are working from the wound, at least, you know, at least you're not you know, doing that in front of thousands of people. So at least you've got that. And, uh, and for those who find the crying like annoying or difficult, I got to say, like, I would, I would find it annoying, you know, if I was listening to a podcast every week where somebody cried. So I'm going to really try not to, I'm going to try to keep a lid on it. I just can't make any promises. So get out your bingo cards, get out your, you know, your drinks for the drinking game. And, you know, if Lonnie cries, then, then you get, you get a point. (laughs) Well, okay. So first of all, I have to say, Mm -hmm. You got to be a little nicer to yourself. (laughs) Um, You have a lovely voice, even even when it cries. But Mm -hmm. one of my favorite professors I used to work with had this quote Mm -hmm. on her office door that said, um, speak your truth, even if your voice shakes. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember who the who the quote was from, but I always loved it. Um, But the other one that I would leave you with is from Laurel Thatcher. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who said, "Oh yeah, well-behaved women sell to make history. Sell to make history, oh, right?" Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, as to what's proper, screw it. <laughs> like, yeah. This is not big, strong, proper. Okay, this is, not, this, is, this is not totally appropriate this, podcast. This is right? not. This this ain't cotillion, <laughs> honey. That's not why we're here. <laughs> so. 
Well, at least it's honest, right? I mean, yeah. I guess that's something. Like, it's, you know, I mean, I, I'm not protecting myself and being invulnerable. I am completely, totally fucking vulnerable in this process. And, you know, I guess I'm just going to have to live with that. <laughs> but I feel bad because, like, every, you know, I listen to these. I actually listen to Big Strong Yes, like, multiple times throughout the week. I find it incredibly comforting in a really weird way. <laughs> but every time I start to cry in the podcast, I start to cry when I'm listening. Oh, you know, and baby. I just keep the... I, I know, but it's just like there's so much there's so much rawness and there's so much pain and it's just too much sometimes. And then I think about like I try to think about it like from the perspective of somebody who's just like, you know, going through a process and trying to like listen to a podcast and like do a thing, you know, and they got to hear me like sniffling and crying all the time and it's annoying. (laughs) Well, but here's the thing. So maybe Mm -hmm. someone's listening who also needs to cry and not it doesn't come naturally to everyone. It does it for me. Oh, my God. I hate crying. It's, like, physically impossible. And when I do, it is ugly. And oh. and so... It's <laughs> an ugly cry. Oh, my God. But if someone else <laughs> cries first, then it may mm-hmm. let someone else cry at the same time. So it's okay. Yeah. It gives you yeah. permission. Okay. So here's yeah. a permission slip for there everybody out there. Write it down. You're allowed to cry. There you <laughs> Lonnie go. cries. You cry. Nobody cries alone in my presence. That's how it works. That's right. <laughs> And nobody cries alone in my presence is a wonderful kind of person to be. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. are an empath, baby. That's how you roll. And it's, it's great. So you're good. <laughs> no worries. I'll cuss loudly yeah. over your crying. We'll balance each other okay, out. Okay, thank you. That would be great. <laughs> I would appreciate that. <laughs> so let's start with a quote at the front of this chapter, because All I right. know this was a big one for you. Yeah, um, I I flipped the page, you know, for the beginning of this reading uh, to the quote at the front that says the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness, right? And so I was like, okay, okay, Brown, apology accepted. That's fine. Like, because I've had this whole thing about her, you know, telling me what kind of stories I'm making up and what kind of like bullshit reality I'm trying to like pass off as real, you know, and I have been struggling, struggling with that concept so bad. And so when I turned this around and, and she was talking about the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. That is exactly the thing that I need to remember because whenever, whenever, even though intellectually, I mean, how many times on this podcast alone have we had this discussion? It is not just about being generous to other people. It is (laughs) about being generous to yourself. And every time I read that phrase, the story I'm making up, what I read is, here's how you're wrong. Here's how you're full of shit. Here's why, you know, you're making up a story that is much more generous to you than you deserve when the stories that I make up are not generous to me at all. And so I always knee jerk to that one thing because I am so comfortable with being wrong. And part of me wants desperately to be wrong about this. Part of me wants desperately for it to be my fault, for it to be my problem. Um, for a number, a number of different reasons. But so I read that and I was like, okay, all right. Apology accepted. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I get it. And uh, intellectually, I'm just starting to, to, you know, to kind of grapple with that 
idea that that the generosity in the story does not always have to point outward, you know. Um, But it's still I'm still uncomfortable. I'm still finding it a real struggle, you know, for me to deal with. And and you had a response to that, too. Oh, yeah. So this this challenge (laughs) of pattern. Right. So um, in in kind of our notes, I had a a heading on here where I put, you know, dopamine and data. Um, yeah. But originally I had put dopamine, my drug of choice. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> so right in the beginning of this, uh, she introduces some research from Robert Burton, who is both a neurologist and a novelist. And uh-huh. I mean, where was that job when I was signing oh, up yeah. for a career, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she said, in the absence of data, we will always make up stories. Mm-hmm. And from Robert Burton's work, He's learned that our brains reward us with dopamine when we recognize and complete patterns. Stories Mm -hmm. are patterns. And it doesn't matter if the patterns that we're seeing are accurate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If they give us a sense of certainty, then we get the dopamine response. And so we would rather be certain than accurate. And Mm -hmm. the sheer scope of that statement completely blew my mind because so many of the evils of mankind can be explained by that idea alone. Oh, absolutely. Our president can be explained by that idea alone. Girl, Jed Bartlett is my president. I don't know what you're talking about. No, you're right. I forgot. (laughs) Jed Bartlett's my president, too. Do not pop the bubble of my reality. (laughs) But... You know, certainty over accuracy mm-hmm. is one yeah. hell of a dangerous construct. Um, and so I I had not read Robert Burton's work before this. I will be reading it now. Um, yeah. And then she also cited Jonathan Gottschall's brilliant book, mm-hmm. uh, The Storytelling Animal, which is one oh, yeah. of my favorites. Uh, so anybody interested in kind of the power of story, the power of story in the human brain, in the way mm-hmm. we experience story, in the way we use stories, um, the storytelling animal is is fantastic. Oh, it is. It's so good. I have it both in um, Kindle and in Audible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to go yeah. back and forth between the two versions. It's real good. It's so good. I have bought mm-hmm. and given away, I think, seven copies of that book. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I realized that dopamine thing is real. Um, and mm-hmm. I love that aha moment. And, and I realized oh, yeah. I do experience that physically. Mm-hmm. Like there mm-hmm. is a moment of sheer happiness, um, that click of insight, that rush of understanding right. that it, but all of that plays on a, on a kind of an intellectual level. So mm-hmm. if I'm looking at something and I can identify the pattern, even if the pattern hurts me, I'm like, woohoo, I got it right. And right, right. The <laughs> puzzle piece the fit. Puzzle, right? You know, yes. Like I can mm-hmm. make sense of this absolute horror. That's not right. good, y'all. That's not how you want your brain to respond. So, <laughs> right. um, mm-hmm. but then from there, she started talking about lovability, divinity, and creativity. Um, yeah. Not How'd so that work for you? Well, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and I picked up the same quote you did on page mm-hmm. 82. She said, the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. We must reclaim the truth about our lovability, divinity, and creativity. So mm-hmm. let's talk these out. Let's let's do these one at a time. Okay. Because we all, all right. I, I think we both had like a, oh, hell oh, no yeah. response. <laughs> So I I know many people struggle with the feeling of being unlovable. And while Mm -hmm. it's comforting to know that I'm not alone in that struggle, it just feels like too big of a chasm to to cross right now. 
And, oh, yeah. you know, she said, just because someone isn't willing or able to love us, it doesn't mean that we're unlovable. That's on page 82. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. But this is a big issue for me and one I don't even know how to rumble with yet. So yeah, if I said, am yeah. I deserving of respect? Hell yes. Am I deserving mm-hmm. of love? Not so much. And I don't, oh, God, I don't know yeah. where to start with that. So how did you yeah. react to, to that? Uh, kind, kind of the same way. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I grew up like I, I've talked about like, you know, my family situation when I was a kid was not great, but it wasn't like it was like my mother was probably the, the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brother was also really abusive, did terrible things to me when I was a kid. Um, and my father was uh, had a lot of problems as well. So like there was nobody growing up that treated me in a loving way at all who was in my you know immediate family like there was there was no love there to be had because they were all so broken Mm -hmm. that they just didn't have it you know um so for me like the idea of inherent worth I I never received that as a child and I think that I just grew up with this idea that I had presumed so completely that I never questioned it until I was in my late thirties. And I mean, I never questioned it until I was in my late thirties. I'm in my mid forties now. Mm -hmm. So that's been a few years and I still am struggling with this. Um, There's this line from the movie where the heart is. Um, The main character, Nova Lee doesn't think that she's worthy of love. And her friend Lexi recounts like all the people who've done terrible things to her. And she says, honey, that's what makes them trash. Not you, you know? And every time I hear that line, you know, it always resonates with me. But at the same time, like I can, and again, it is this whole thing. It is this, there's the intellectual understanding of reality and of the truth. And then there's the emotional understanding of that. And, and I've had some things where I've, I've, you know, understood it intellectually for a while and I've grappled with it for a while. And then eventually emotionally, I'm able to incorporate it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and the whole lovability thing. And I mean, the thing is like, when you say to me, like that you're not lovable, I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> that is the most patently ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, you are so, you're one of the most lovable people I've ever known, you know? Um, and, and so, like, intellectually, I know that, you know, that I have value and that, you know, the people who couldn't love me, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because there was something wrong with them, you right. know? But at the same time, I can't like, you know, you're saying it's just too big. It's Mm -hmm. too much. I can't go over that right now. Like I can't get myself across that chasm to where I can bring that emotional understanding of that within me. I mean, I am basically I have been resolving myself to like, I'm just not going to be I'm never going to be in another relationship. I'm never going to be in love. I can't. How could I ever trust anybody again? How am I ever going to trust anybody again? How am I ever going to be vulnerable with anybody again? You know, I mean, I had that vulnerability used as a weapon against me. Like, how is that ever going to happen? You know, so I look at that and I just think that's it. I just won't be I won't be loved. You know, like I won't be like, I mean, my kids love me and I know that, you know, and I know that I'm, but you know, it's like, they have to love me. Like even <laughs> people who hate their mothers, love their mothers. Like, you know, I can't remember this is a, a, a line from, I think it may even be from, it may be from one of those Nora Ephraim movies, but, um, but it just, it feels like I just can't like I, the idea of having somebody say they love me. And ever, ever, ever being brave enough to believe it is so far beyond my comprehension at this point. It's like quantum physics, right? Like people can explain quantum physics, quantum mechanics to me. They could do that as much as they want. I'm never going to wrap my mind around it. 
everything to me is magic. I got a phone with all of human knowledge in my pocket. Do I understand how it works? No, I have no <laughs> idea. It's there. To me, that's magic. Like how television signals go through the airwaves and end up on your TV. Magic. I don't understand any of it. It's all magic to me. So it, it's kind of like that. Like I just, I can't comprehend it. I can't. And, and I think it's just, it's too much. I'm going to have to come back to this later because I just, I can't. So, Okay. Here's the thing. I hear you say that, yeah. and I think, yeah, there's no way in hell. Like, it would be a crime against the universe for you never to fall in love again because you. Oh, it's never going to happen. No, yes, it's it never will. going to happen. It you, will never. No. You are a woman I who can't. believes in love, and you deserve I can't. love. I don't. You don't have to think I that right don't. now. It's okay. We're still in the in the homework stage here, but yeah. but I hear that, and I think sheer total impossibility, right? Because that's how I see you. <laughs> But and mm-hmm. so not to diminish the pain of that conversation, but I'm going to tell you a very funny story because this is how I see what this when you said it. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was nine years old, I finished mm-hmm. uh, reading Little Women mm-hmm. and I was up very late reading it, which I should not have been. And I walked into the living room, I guess probably at you know midnight or something, bawling, crying Aww. so hard I couldn't breathe. I mean, just like shuddering. That my whole body was crying. And my mother was like, what is wrong with you? And why are you up so late? And and I showed her. All I could do was hold up the book. Like, I couldn't even make oh. the words, you know. And she's like, oh, did you get to the part where Beth died? And first of all, even nine-year-old me was like, spoilers. Like, what if I hadn't gotten that far yet? Come on now. But, <laughs> but I said, no, I finished it. And she's mm-hmm. like, honey, it has a happy ending. Like, what, what am I missing here? And I said, no, you don't understand. I will never love another book. Like I have loved mm-hmm. this book and now I'm finished Aww. with it. And and my whole life is ahead of me and I will never read a story that makes me feel this way. And I was devastated. I mean, like, emotionally devastated. Oh my God. Oh my and, God, Kelly. That is the most adorable thing right? I have ever heard. Like, well, and this is told as a funny story about me and my family because nobody gets this. Nobody loves books the way I do. My, oh you my know, God. And, no, I love that story. I am in love with nine-year-old Kelly. Oh my God. And uh, But when I hear I think, you know, there is so much more for you that you just can't even fathom it yet. And it's not to diminish the pain and the ugliness of mm-hmm. what you're going through. Yeah. But it, it just comes from my sheer belief of what lies in store for you. And, you know, so if I go back to nine-year-old Kelly, I would be like, here, baby, here is Anna Green Gables. You're going to feel fine in about 10 minutes. And, right. <laughs> you know, so. Not all things are solvable that easy, but there is yeah. always more magic out there to find. And I have every mm-hmm. belief that you will find it. Oh, God, no. Yeah. No. It's okay. No. Agree to disagree. <laughs> so, all right. Speaking Just of. Never. I can't, I can't fathom yeah. being able to, I can't fathom. I ever, know. ever, ever trusting anybody ever again. I know. I, I just can't, you know. I know. And right so, now you don't that's... have to. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. All right. So let's move on to divinity. Can oh, we yeah. move on to divinity? divinity Can get out of this yes. I'm unlovable thing? Yeah. <laughs> divinity is so much easier than lovability, right? I mean. It is. What the it hell? It is. Because I, I can't with divinity. Can't. I'm sorry. And you know what? It's so funny because I, I, there's a lot of spirituality in this book. And her spirituality is a little more traditional, I think, necessarily than mine. Mine is kind of this 
woo woo, there's mystery in the universe. I don't get it. Like that's, you know, that's as far as like my sense of, of divinity and faith goes. Like I have, I have faith that there's stuff I don't understand because there is so much in the world that I don't understand. So me wrapping my mind around things that like, I don't know, I'm completely comfortable with that. Like I, you know, I, I, there are some things I'm fairly secure with, um, things that I believe I, that I absolutely don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's funny cause I actually had this thing earlier in one of the podcasts where I was talking about like the, the Paulo Coelho quote, uh, quote, um, you know, the universe conspiring to help you. Mm-hmm. And there were some people who had struggled with that, you know, and they were like, and it was a really interesting conversation because people were talking about how like, you know, this idea that the universe is going to, is going to, you know, somehow come in and like, what if the universe, universe isn't helping me does that mean that somehow I'm a failure that I don't deserve the help that I'm not on the right path you know Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff and I thought wow you know first of all yeah that's a really valid argument to that quote you know that if you're on your path the universe is is conspiring to help you but if you're not getting any help from the universe it's because the universe is like fuck you dude right Right. it's just again it's that kind of thing like that there's people in the universe that the universe doesn't care about you know um, because and, and, and personally, I think that if you're on the wrong path, that's when the universe should be helping you. Yeah, that <laughs> you know? would be nice. That's when you need the most help. Right. Yeah, you know? would be so great. I thought about that and I thought, you know, yeah, that that quote really spoke to me, you know, but I didn't. I didn't poke at it critically. And then some people poked at it critically. And I was like, damn, you guys are right. You know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So I thought about that. Like, here I am presenting this kind of mystical woo woo. Oh, it's all a mystery, you know, vision of the universe that that is is kind of what this like whole religious aspect does for me, you know, like, I'm just not comfortable with religion you know I mean there's just stuff that that makes me really uncomfortable because religion comes from this incredibly vulnerable like faith comes from this incredibly vulnerable and personal space Mm -hmm. and it is so often manipulated by terrible people you know to they serve up a platter that has you know what happens to you when you die and and and, you know your fear of death and, and your fear of not being good and all that kind of stuff and they serve it up on a platter along with you know, uh, these are the people that you need to hate because God thinks they're an abomination or whatever, or, you know, it's, it's all this bad stuff that gets served up with that by people who have a political agenda. And I find that really, really offensive. So there's a lot about religion that I find just personally offensive, but I love this idea of a personal faith, you know, like there's, there's a beauty in that too. So whenever she starts talking about religion and about divinity, I go cold you know, I, how, how do you respond to that? So I, um, I really struggle with this. The, the divinity conversation went over my head. And I think I actually do align more with the, the quote about the magic of the universe. Um, I would like to be a spiritual person, but I will never, ever be a religious one. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. and I, I think so much of this just comes from how you were, you know, trained or how you were raised. And Mm-hmm. My religious upbringing is muddier and dirtier than the Georgia clay I was raised in. Um, and I've never found a church that makes me feel even slightly comfortable. I don't know if a faith exists yeah. that would fit me. But I don't think so either you know, for me. When yeah. I put my researcher hat on, uh-huh. I, I have noticed that the people I know who are spiritual and have positive experiences with spirituality do seem to be happy. And yeah. more positive in their thinking than I am. 
So oh, there's huge benefits right? to religion. I mean, com- the the just the level of community that yes. you get out of that. I mean, the, the research has been done. The benefits to having a strong faith mm-hmm. are huge yes. and proven. They are. Um, I've just never found one that works for me. Yeah. So I understand the concept of divinity. I believe mm-hmm. in the magical interconnected of the universe. I'm open to becoming more spiritual, but I'm not sure even where to start. Um, and, yeah. and when I read this at first, I was like, oh, come on, seriously. Yeah. Like I was raised on the third, you know, buckle of the Bible belt and girl, right. I am like <laughs> not going back, <laughs> but it, it, yeah. it did remind me of one of my favorite quiet movies, which mm-hmm. I had forgotten about and hadn't watched in a long time. Um, it's contact with Jodie Foster. And I think that oh, yeah. they do a beautiful job in that movie of exploring mm-hmm. issues of faith versus yeah. science, you know, and religion versus kind of universal magic. And it made me want to go back and watch it again. So oh, yeah. um, I may start there, but, but I feel like I do feel the pull toward wanting to mm-hmm. be more spiritual, but I think that it would be very difficult to find something that fits. I would like to do it. I just, I don't know where to look. So, Yeah, no, I would too. And I've looked at a lot of different things. I mean, I was actually raised, I think as, as far as like a Christian religion, I was raised Quaker. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think if I, if I ever was like, if people were like, Hey, you have to believe in something, I would go to a Quaker meeting Um, because it is because they don't read the Bible. Literally. Um, Mm -hmm. They're incredibly liberal in their politics. Uh, They, they put their money where their mouth is. These people believe very strongly in pacifism. They believe they're against the death penalty. Like there's so many things and they are active. Mm -hmm. I mean, they go out and do stuff like these people are constantly, you know, and, and really like genuinely engaging with the problems of the world world and um but i i feel like and i come from a long line of preachers like mm-hmm. my dad was a minister my grandfather was a minister like you know um my, my dad was a minister before he became an atheist so that's <laughs> a, a complicated thing um so i don't know like i i just i can't i can't believe in it mm-hmm. i just i've tried i want to i've gone to church you know i've gone to different churches a million of them i've gone to every single one if there's a faith out there i've been inside the walls you know mm-hmm. um and i just haven't found anything that really speaks to i think a sense of mystery i feel like there's this there's this desire for certainty mm-hmm. um that 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 I don't really connect with when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, the, the having the answers isn't important to me as, as searching for them. And honestly, I think philosophy, you know, like a philosophical discussion of human nature, that's probably the closest that I can come to a faith, you know, like that the questions are being asked, you know, um, and that you're trying to answer them and that the answers aren't necessarily there, but you're trying to find a way to the answers, you know? Um, but I, I just, I haven't. And the thing is, I would love to have that community. Like I look at these people, I live in a village. I am surrounded by church bells all day today, church bells going off, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have got three churches within spitting distance of my house, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just can't like, 
I, I, I can't be part of it. I'm always separate from it. But I think about how lovely it is to be a part of a community like that, where you know that these people have your back, where you know that they're, you know, there are good people there who are just trying to be good people, you know, and, and they're there and they, you know, they have fellowship and they, you know, talk and they connect and they're just, you know, trying to do good things, trying to be good people, doing good things. And they do a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. And yet I can't connect with it because I feel dishonest when I walk in because I don't believe it yeah you know well and I, I think that's where I, I landed so hard on the scholastic side of the equation because if I had to define a religion for myself it would be yeah. a mixture of philosophy and poetry and yeah. that's that that would be where I would stay um and mm-hmm. so I, but I do and, and maybe it's just the older I get the more that I want to explore that side of life, I think, or, mm-hmm. or just that side yeah. of understanding. Um, but it is, it is beyond my reach right now. So it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's really tough. And I mean, the thing is like, I know there are people out there who are deeply religious and I don't mean to be insulting. No, not to at anybody all. who is, right. you know, like, I think that it's, I think that it's a great thing and I wish that I could, you know, but I just, I can't, Yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm kind of jealous of people who have a strong faith. You know, because I think that it would be nice to be able to have that. But mm-hmm. I just I, I, I it's not in me. I have not been able to access that. And so when we have these talks about divinity, when when Brene Brown goes into these discussions, I'm always kind of I always feel at a remove from it. Yeah. Like I'm just not I'm just not there. Yeah, me too. So um, so the the third part of this trinity here, if we go from lovability to divinity to creativity, uh-huh. Um, we had very different reactions to the creativity one. So how did how did you feel about that? Oh, you know, I did the creativity stuff and I was like, dad, not an issue for me. Like she was talking about how people in school have a shame experience that usually shuts down their creativity. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was math. People were yeah. so mean to me about math. <laughs> I had a teacher, I swear to God, in the, in the second grade, I couldn't understand a math problem. And she pulled my hair in front of like everybody in the class. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's it for me for math. Man. Oh my I'm not God. doing that. So I got into, I was, I was always writing. I was always doing creative stuff. And so like, I never, I never struggled with that at all. Um, but, but you did. I huh? did. Well, I struggled with both sides. So um, I had mentioned yeah. oh. on the, <laughs> before on, a, on another podcast that I actually have 12 years of report cards that say, Kelly is very good at English, but she needs to work harder in math. So I have such oh. a math complex, but the, yeah. the English that I was doing was not highly creative. Um, and, mm-hmm. but I did just want to shout out that, you know, if you are listening to this and you are a teacher or you know a teacher, please always remember and guard fiercely the power you have over children with the ability oh, yeah. that you have to make them feel either ashamed or valued. Because I think so many people, myself included, come out of elementary school with deep shame scars that we have been given oh, yeah. from teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it is very difficult to overcome. And so I, I have the normal one of those, you know, I was a kid who talked too much. I asked too many mm-hmm. questions. Um, I was incredibly socially awkward and, and <laughs> those things do not, you know, fit well in an right. elementary school classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my biggest ones was actually in college. And so I always wanted to be a writer, you know, and I, and I um, had illusions of grandeur of my <laughs> writing ability. Aww. And, uh, but I never really studied 
Right. Now, academic writing, yes. And and some nonfiction writing, yes. But not creative writing. And mm-hmm. the closest I ever came was this uh, class as an undergraduate that was a, it wasn't called creative essays, but it was kind mm-hmm. of a, a creative essay writing class. So it wasn't fiction. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't poetry. But creative nonfiction, yeah, right? Not exactly. It was just essays. Yeah. So okay. later I found out, now that I am a PhD and I understand how academia works, the yeah. teacher had a PhD in, in American essay. Like that was his area of specialty. So mm-hmm. he was brand new. He had just finished his doctorate and he was unleashed to wreak havoc on, you know, unsuspecting <laughs> undergraduates. And the guy was an asshole. Okay. Oh, no. And I can say that now looking back, but at the time he was mm-hmm. my revered writing professor. And so yeah. he gave us this assignment to write a descriptive essay, like something evocative mm-hmm. of place. And and this is a big thing theme in Southern literature and Southern writing is this kind of place based mm-hmm. story. And so mm-hmm. sure. I drug my eighteen year old Doc Martin smoking self, Doc Martin wearing <laughs> cigarette smoking self, out to this beautiful historic cemetery and proceeded mm-hmm. to write this evocative you know sensory based yeah. essay i mean i mean oh my god i can't even but i poured everything <laughs> i had into that you know into mm-hmm. that paper completely unguarded you know um writing raw and and i loved every second of it like it was just so mm-hmm. much fun to write that way and so the next day in class he had um us get in small groups and we each read everybody's essay so we had to bring copies mm-hmm. and pass them around and all this stuff and he had the class sort of vote. It, you kind of went through this process of elimination of, for like their favorite essay. And the idea was mm-hmm. which one made you feel like you were in that place. Mm-hmm. And so the class picked mine and I was shocked. Aww. And I had like this moment of victory and I was so happy. And so he took it and read it out loud. And after mm-hmm. like the third sentence, he shifted his voice from like reading the essay into like mocking the essay and and he was actively making fun of it by the end and then oh he crumpled God. it up threw it in the trash and proceeded to like yell at them about why they picked such a crappy over imaginative essay as as the example oh my god and what a bastard right well young kelly did not yet have oh, her baby. you know kick ass gene in place and so I didn't challenge him. I just dropped the class and never went back and didn't write for like two years. And oh my <laughs> when I look back at that story. What a son of a bitch. Right? I know. But I'm not even mad at him anymore. Oh, I am, I'm mad like, at him. <laughs> I'm mad at myself for letting someone else tell me <laughs> that I shouldn't be writing. Right. You know? Yes. And so I let that teacher have way too much power over me. But I do mm-hmm. think in the end it made me a better teacher because I do teach writing. Um, and I teach writing mm-hmm. to adults who are coming back to college after many years yeah. of not being in the classroom. And mm-hmm. they face criticism. And some of them are getting emotional scars from professors that they oh, do, yeah. you know, they do not deserve. And I do think it mm-hmm. made me a much better teacher. But I don't know that the writer in me ever quite recovered. And and it's time. Oh my like, god! How could you? That's so vulnerable. Yeah. And then to do that. Oh my god! But I mean, it's been 
20 years and it is time for me to own that shit. So, yeah, you're right. You um, don't want to give him that kind of power. But, right. Oh, my God. I want to go back and smack his. And you know what? The reason why he did that is because you were good and he was insecure because you were better than him. That's what that was. Well, I don't know about asshole. that. But yeah, I mean, was, I think that's true. I think well, it obviously was, everybody know, in the class thought it was true. It's the new. Everybody in the class yeah, liked what you wrote. The new shiny oh. PhD having to have authority over his classroom or whatever it was. But right. but I do know now it was his issue and not mine. Um, yes, but absolutely. It is, you know, so yeah, shame scars from education. Definitely. Oh my God. And so. That is so awful. <laughs> I do struggle still. And I'm not saying, oh, my creativity was broken because of this one bad teacher. But it was, I mean, I just feel like. No, I've, but that is terrible. Yeah. And it's not the only example. I mean, I've, I've had other issues with, um, with, you know, being creative and, and not. Yeah. It's so vulnerable. Yeah. Being creative is an incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I still struggle with it. So anyway, so she said, Dr. Brown on page 83, now that we've heard all these stories uh-huh. of Kelly's life and that's enough. <laughs> um, but she, I like your story. <laughs> she says, just because we didn't measure up to some standard of achievement doesn't mean we don't possess gifts and talents that only we can bring to the world. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, I'm on board with this 100%. Um, emotionally, oh, yeah. I'm struggling. Oh, God, no. I mean, this is the thing that I tell my students all the time, and especially because I get these kids who are, you know, <laughs> I get these kids who are like 19, 20, you know, and they just like, they have to take this screenwriting class as part of the, you know, because it's part of the, the television, radio and film program. Like you have to take the screenwriting class. They don't have a choice. They're stuck with me, you know? Right. And so they come into this class and not all of them are writers, you know, and I'm like, not all of you are writers. There are a lot of you who don't want to write, who don't like writing. It's not the thing that you do. And it's not what you came to school to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but no matter who you are there, the one thing that you have a value that nobody else has, no matter how good or bad you think you are at writing is you. Right. Is there's something within you that you are the only person who is going to express this thing this way. And it's because of your experience. And so I don't care if you're a fantastic writer. I don't need you to be a fantastic writer. What I want you to do is give me you show me who you are in this project, you know, and there's something about that that like I got to say my kids, my students all have had amazing work they've all done things and some of them are better writers than others some of them are come more naturally to it than mm-hmm. others but they all wrote about something that they cared about and when you're writing about something that you genuinely care about you're there's a certain element of just genuineness that makes the work you know that makes it of value and and I have found that to be such an incredibly like empowering thing you know to be able to tell these kids that I don't care if you are a great writer or not like I don't care if you like writing I don't care I want to hear what you have to say I want you to tell me what you've got you know yeah. And uh, and that's always been like an incredible thing. And I found that a lot of these kids who thought that they didn't have any writing talent, you know, and a lot of them come in there saying, I can't write, mm-hmm. you know, end up doing some really interesting work. Well, they had so, you for a teacher. So well, and, <laughs> but very... they have it. But the, no, but the thing is that like, yeah, they had me for a teacher and I'm awesome and whatever. But but the thing is that like they had that within them. I didn't give them that. I may have I may have said, here's your permission to show me. But there, you know, but don't, but, but don't undermine that because there is, yeah. there is serious power in being given a safe space to be yeah. creative and you've given that to them. And, and that is, yeah. that's a big deal. 
Oh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's an incredible experience, and I have loved working with those kids, especially because they come in they they haven't you know done a lot of writing, so they don't have any bad habits yet. So I can teach them everything, <laughs> and do it right from the beginning, you know. Um, but I just like I'm I'm so incensed by that story. <laughs> well, I just I think, oh man, what if I could have oh redone that class with you as my teacher? Then, oh my god! You know. Well, you've been doing that for the last ten years. You've been listening to all of my podcasts. I know, right? So I'm telling you, Kelly, you have something of value that nobody else has, and you know what it is? It's you. Aww. It's you. It's your perspective. It's who you are. It's what you bring to this story. So you know, you've been talking. You know, you've been taking, you've been listening to Will Write for Wine. That was 10 years ago. You know, you started listening to me then. You've been following all of this story stuff that I've been doing. You have this incredible pull to be creative and to do this work. And I think that if you feel that pull, then there is something that you have that is of value, that is going to be of such incredible value. And I want you to do it. Like, I want you to write creatively. I know we're working on all of our bullshit and that's what all this is. We're doing our (laughs) SFDs and it's all real and nonfiction or whatever. But I I really want to see you do that creative writing because I feel like there's, you're so drawn to it and you've been so drawn to it for such a long time that there's something that you have that's going to be incredible, you know, once you let that out. Well, thank you. I'm working on it. I think that's going to be amazing. Hey, I told a story about writing. That's a start, right? (laughs) No, that's great. No, we're, we're going through all of our trauma now. So I mean, this this is all about whatever, but I mean, as time goes by, like you've been listening to me talk about this stuff for 10 years. Like it is time for you when you're ready, like sometime soon, but when you're ready to really start doing that creative writing. I am excited to see what you're going to do. I think it's going to be amazing. Oh, thank you. We'll see. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So that's enough of Kelly's crap. Let's, um, let's talk about your experience with the rumble. Oh God. Oh God. Okay. So I went into this thing, right? I'm, I'm already struggling. The reckoning was hard enough, but I found my way through it, right? And I'm like, okay, let's get into the rumble, right? And then I hit page 78 in the hardback, and I swear to God, (laughs) the quote is this. The rumble starts when we have the willingness, ability, and courage to cross the waterline to wade into that first uncivilized story we're making up. And this emphasis is mine. This is the beginning of Act 2, right? So I was like, Bitch, what? This hasn't been Act 2 all along? All of that reckoning stuff was still Act 1? That was the easy part? Are you kidding me with this? You know, I was like, oh my God. And it was at that moment that I was like, this is going to be so much harder than I thought. I thought we were already in Act 2 and moving into Act 3. But no, but no, we weren't. The reckoning was the easy part. And now I've got this to deal with. And so I kind of had, I had like a really like a, a moment of just freak out. And I realized this is like the third time in this, in this podcast that I've referred to Brene Brown by, by a bitch, you know. But, uh, but I mean, I love her. I love her so much. And the thing is, like, the reason why I get angry is because she's right. The reason why I get upset yes. is because she's right and because I am so raw and yes. I am not in a place where I can, I can properly express how much 
unbelievable respect and gratitude I have for Brene Brown. Right. Well, we can call her. But I was yes. still like. No, we can be like my son. It's so an he, affectionate bitch. Yes, yeah. it is. So he, my son actually has me listed in his contacts as Dr. Bitch. Um, and oh. it's, <laughs> it's from a joke because I got a t-shirt that said Dr. Bitch when I finished my PhD. And I take it oh as a compliment. God. So we can. That's what I want Brene Brown to just come to me and be like, it's Dr. Bitch, bitch to you. That's right. Like, that's what I want. That's, right. to <laughs> that's what I tell my students. It's a Dr. Bitch. It's yeah. Dr. Bitch. So we can to say, you. Dr. Yes. Bitch, please. <laughs> Dr. Bitch, please. Okay. Yes. Because I feel like that expression doesn't ex- doesn't like fully cover how much respect and admiration I have for yeah. this woman. <laughs> because I do. Yeah. But she is kicking my ass, Kelly. She is kicking my ass. So how did you respond with the whole rumble thing? Uh, well. Oh, God. Oh really? God. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and I do this every week. I'm like. Damn, that chapter was hard. And I don't I remember know, it being easier, that hard. Right? I know. <laughs> like, oh, this was when at the end of this one, I was like, yeah. I think we should just start talking about Big Magic. <laughs> but- I know. I want to skip. I want to skip to Big Magic because that's going to be fun. I I'm probably know. not going to cry hardly at all in Big Magic. God, yes. So, but, yeah. um, but I did have a very important reckoning, I guess, with some of the content in this chapter mm-hmm. um, about, you know, Traps and triggers, which yeah. I think was important. Mm-hmm. And so on page 84, she said, um, when unconscious storytelling becomes our default, we often keep tripping over the same issue, staying down where we fall and having different versions of the same problem in our relationships. We've got the mm-hmm. story on repeat. Yeah. And that ripped me to little pieces, right and proper. Um, oh yeah, and I came very close to crying saying that sentence out loud mm-hmm. because God, oh, and know. <laughs> you so know, and hard. there's real power in becoming aware mm-hmm. of and owning and overcoming, you know, our personal traps and triggers. And mm-hmm. and Dr. Brown says that you know people who have cultivated this rising strong process in their lives have learned to get unstuck from their stories through a lot of practice because they mm-hmm. become aware and they capture their stories. Intellectually, I'm on board with this 100%. (laughs) Personally, I don't know how the fuck to do it. So even when I see destructive patterns plain as day, it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily able to do things differently. Um, And then I immediately amused myself with falling back on humor and said, if Mm -hmm. my ass was stuck in the Groundhog Day movie instead of Bill Murray... It would just be a permanent repeat of day one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know? There you go. Because, and and who would have thought that there was like a deep, meaningful life lesson in Groundhog Day? But y'all, there is. Like, really, there Mm -hmm. is. And so I just wonder, Mm -hmm. like, how many times am I going to have to hit replay on this shit until I do something different? Um until it changes, yes. I know. So, and I know, and it's not just going to magically change. Like I have to do it, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, I know. I feel like, but it's so like, hard. Though. It's it's so smart, and she's so right, and it makes so much sense. Yeah. And then there's that little, you know, part of me that's like, yeah, I don't want to. So I, I, <laughs> I just don't want to. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I think it comes from that fear that it's just too hard, which is really the fear that says, I'm not capable of doing it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what I'm rumbling with right now. 
Yeah, no, I have this note here too on page 78 of the hardback says the rumble is where wholeheartedness is cultivated and change begins, right? And I actually, the note I wrote next to that is this makes me nervous. What if I fail? What if I rumble and I still fuck it up? What if I rumble and I go through this whole thing and I'm still in that same space? I'm still doing the same things. I'm still, you know, I don't know, like, I just, I, I, what if I can't, Yeah. you know, what if everybody else is able to go through this process and figure this shit out? And I'm just going to sit here repeating the same thing over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm afraid that I'm going to like, and that's part of the thing about day two that I think becomes so it's like, okay, so let me go through the hard part. Yeah. But what if I don't figure it out? Right. What if I, what if I don't get this like wonderful, you know, stroke of insight that's supposed to like change everything and suddenly I'm a better person? Like, yeah. you know, what if I never figure it out? What if I never get to the point where I can I can emotionally I mean, it's been years since I first had this idea that there's nothing, you know, capital W wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know, years since I wrote that post and I still feel inherently unworthy like what is that about and I know it's bullshit because you tell me about your inherent unworthiness and I'm like that's crap yeah. you know and I mean like I I don't know I don't I, I I struggled so much with this chapter I struggled so much with it this whole thing about challenging reality again which is something that I, I I'm having such a tough time with yeah. because my reality has always been so malleable it feels like this like this, you know, very precious piece of paper that has all of this like wisdom and knowledge on it in this one place and you can't get it anywhere else, but it's gotten wet and it's gotten torn and it's like tissue paper. And every time I poke at it, another part of it is going to be, is going to fall apart and be lost forever, right. you know? So that's on your bingo cards. That's Lonnie Torture's <laughs> metaphor. So go, go mark that off. Um, so, I mean, like I, I can't. You know, I can't question reality again. Like, I have to know what it actually is. And I just find that such a struggle. And I don't know how to get get past that. I don't know how to, like, work with that. I'm so afraid to do this process because what if I do it and I still can't get it right? But you did have some positive experience with the methodology, right? Yeah. You did try this. Yeah. And so I know she she talks about this a little um, on page 92 and 93 of your book. Um, And Uh it was kind of that when you're walking yourself through these questions, right? What what more do Mm -hmm. I need to learn and understand about the situation? What more do I need to learn and understand about other people in the story? What do I need to learn and understand about myself? Um, And your your current situation is is so, you know, complicated. But you did have one great example where you were able to apply this right I did well I was able to I wasn't able to apply it in the moment because we hadn't started this yet. right yeah but that's okay <laughs> but yeah, yeah but this is something I thought about it because I was I was thinking about like all of the things that are going on with me and and the stuff that I'm dealing with with number two and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. which is just too complicated and too difficult and too um 
you know, it, it, reality is so bruised in that arena right now that I can't get near it, you know. Right. Um, but I had this experience, uh, you know, about a, about a month or so ago, I guess. And um, and what happened was I, you know, I just started this job in like April, right? Mm-hmm. And there was one night where uh, my older daughter, she has asthma. So there are times where, you know, she's on hospital watch. Like if, if her allergies get really bad, if she has a really bad reaction, I mean, we end up in the hospital, you know. So I was up all night with her, giving her her, you know, nebulizer treatments every couple of hours and, you know, and, and eventually it got better and she was all right. She was able to, to go to sleep. But I, you know, woke up in the morning. It was like six o'clock. I had to start getting ready for work and I hadn't slept, you know, and I just couldn't. And so um, I sent my boss uh, an email, you know, and because it was early in the morning and I just said, hey, here's the situation. You know, I'm going to have to take a sick day today. And if there's anything you need, I'm at home. I can do 90 percent of my work from home. So, I mean, if there's any emergency, I can take care of it. But I just need to be able to go back to sleep, you know. And so I went back to sleep. And then like two hours later, I got up and I hadn't heard a response from her. And so I texted her and I was like, hey, did you get the message? Yada, 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 you know, and still didn't hear anything. So it it gets to be 10 o'clock and I'm freaking out, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh, my God, the reason and the story I told myself was that the reason why she didn't get in touch with me is because she was, you know, busy checking with HR to see if she could fire me, you know, because it hadn't been it had been less than 90 days. And so you don't need a reason in the in the uh, um, in the probation period and whatever, you know. And uh, and so I was like, oh, my God. So I freak out. I get ready. I go to work. I'm driving into work. You know, I'm still worried about Sarah, you know, because she was better, but her breathing still wasn't 100 percent. And so I I wasn't here with the car and I was nervous about this whole thing, but I was like, I got to go in because I can't lose this job, you know? And, um, and so I go in, I'm rushing in and I'm freaking out the whole thing. And then as I'm on my way into work, right when I'm pulling into the parking lot, I get a text from her and she's like, Oh God, no, it's fine. She's like, I'm so sorry. She goes, I saw your te- or your email in the morning, but I was at the gym and so I couldn't respond to you. And then I had a meeting and I wasn't able to get back to you. No, it's fine. You know? And I was like, Oh my God. So, so when I was thinking about this, like how I could, could have rumbled with this, with this methodology. Like, what do I need to understand more about the situation? And the situation was, I haven't had any problems at work. I mean, yes, it's a new job for me, but I've been in this building doing different things. I was faculty there for four years. Most recently, I was a staff there many years ago as undergrad. I've, I've taught, I've done everything in this building. These people have known me for 20 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she hasn't known me personally for 20 years, but like all the people in the building have, like they told her, which is why she hired me that I'm good, you know? And then, um, so, I mean, I know the situation, like I'm secure with that. I don't feel like these are people who are just going to up and fire me for no reason without any warning, you know, um, especially for calling in sick, which is a thing you're allowed to do, right. you know? Um, and then I thought about like the other people in the situation, what do I need to understand uh, about the other people? And the thing is, is that I have to tell you about my boss. She's amazing. She is mm-hmm. awesome. She is so, and we t- sat and had a talk when I first started there and she knows that I'm a single mom and she knows that we're going through this trauma, you know, and she is so supportive and she's like, Hey, it's, you know, if you're getting your work done, it's good. Just let me know what's going on and make sure you're, you know, in touch and communicating and that's fine. She has always treated me with incredible respect. She has always valued me. There's, I, I, there's not a moment since I've been working for her that I have felt anything from her other than complete respect, complete, like everything. She has been fantastic, right? I love her. Um, so like I wasn't, 
understanding her as the person that I knew I was I was reading into it the worst possible case scenario for me you know and then the last thing in the rumble is in the methodology is you know what do you need to know more about yourself and you know I think I knew like in the back of my head that everything was fine that it was going to be fine but I wasn't trusting myself or my rational read on the situation like I don't trust myself I don't trust my understanding of situations. I don't trust that things are okay. I always, always read everything in in the way that it reflects worst on me, mm-hmm. you know, so that I have the worst case scenario running through my head at any given moment. That's what I do. So it's kind of a retroactive rumble um, because in the moment I didn't have this methodology. I didn't have the skill sets. I, I wasn't doing the reading. You know, I, I didn't have the consciousness of it that I have now, but because what's going on in my life right now is kind of a little bit too fragile yeah. for me to really rumble with. Um, I, I was able to go back and sort of retroactively apply this methodology and it kind of gave me an example of how I might be able to do this in the future. Right. You know, but, and that actually was really helpful to me. And I don't know for other people, if, you, if what you're struggling with in the moment is too hard, go back to something and think, what would you do with these three? What do you know about the situation? What can you understand about the other people? What can you understand about yourself? Mm-hmm. And and see maybe if that helps you because I feel like it helped me to practice with it. Yeah. In a safe space where I wasn't threatened by anything, you know? Right. No, I think that's incredibly valuable. And you mm-hmm. were able to get to what she calls the Delta, which is sort of the last yeah. idea of this chapter. Um, and I think this mm-hmm. is a really neat concept. So mm-hmm. Dr. Brown describes the delta, which is the fourth letter in the Greek alphabet and the mathematical symbol mm-hmm. for difference. And um, mm-hmm. it's a, a triangle is used to represent the delta. But she mm-hmm. said the difference, which is the delta, between what we make up about our experiences and the truth we discover through the process of rumbling is where the meaning yeah. and wisdom of this experience live. And that's on page mm-hmm. 94. And so the delta is your learning. Right. What are your key yeah. learnings? And so I think applying that in a small situation is probably the best way to learn it, because then yeah. you're able to see, OK, I did. I was able to close the gap between the story I was mm-hmm. telling myself and reality. Right. Yeah. I was able mm-hmm. to gain some understanding there. I was able to to look at that delta. I was able to take something with me that I now know to be true and I can keep learning from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's great, you know. Yeah, well, it was the only way I could do it. Yeah. I'm not able to rumble with with the current stuff just yet. Like I but but doing that, applying that to a situation that I had been in where I already knew what the reality was, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. where I wasn't in the middle of the freak out, right. you know, where um, where I knew like I went into my office and she was like, no, it's really fine. It's OK. I mean, it's great that you're here and that's fine, but don't worry about mm-hmm. it. And I'm really sorry. And she was so awesome and so fantastic. And deep down inside, I knew. I knew that's who she was. Right. That was who she had shown herself to be, you know, the entire time. Like, you know, um, she she will work with you, you mm-hmm. know, and she will make things, you know, she's just flexible and, and awesome, right. you know, and, and so kind and, and just really a great person. And um, and so, like, I just I, I didn't trust that. Right. I didn't trust my understanding of that right. to not mean that, you know, she couldn't be somebody who would you know, turn on me at a moment's notice, right. you know? Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I, it, it's, it helps me 
to manage the idea of the rumble to apply it to something retroactively. Yeah, and apply it small, right? I mean, baby stuff in this and thing. Apply it small. Yeah, yeah, is a big deal. So, mm-hmm. so for each chapter, oh man, maybe they'll start to get easier as we go through. Oh, <laughs> although God. I know every week we say that. Well, right? Except I already know next week isn't because next week I'm going to be a puddle of whimpering disaster. Chapter six just kills me. Um, so y'all oh, all have God. that to look forward to. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? All I'm saying is it's about time somebody else cried on this oh, podcast. That's all man. I'm saying. <laughs> it, it, I don't know, man. It could happen. Um, but for each chapter, we kind of go through our three-part framework, which is our big idea, mm-hmm. our strong challenge, and our yes. Um, so that big idea is our aha moment or something that inspired us. So did you get an aha from this very difficult chapter? Do you have a big idea? Um, you know, it's the same thing. It's this every week I'm coming back to the same thing. This realizing that questioning the story doesn't always mean going to the narrative that makes me wrong, Mm -hmm. that makes me the asshole, you know? And so I think having that intellectual understanding, I keep coming back to that same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this idea that, you know, the damaging stories are the ones that, that question our worth you know, and our value. And, and that is the thing that I have to to understand that the story that I'm making up is not necessarily something that, you know, that says that I'm, I'm wrong about, about the things that people are doing to me that somehow I deserve it or that somehow, you know, they're right. But that the, the wrongness of the story that I'm making up is that I deserve it, is that they're right, you know, um, and uh, and that I have to kind of integrate that. And I was thinking about that, like that integration between the thing we understand intellectually and the thing we know emotionally. Right. You know, and and, and that's a delta. Yeah. That you have to kind of like get past. And so so for me, I, I think it's 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 just going back to that same idea over and over and over again until I'm able to integrate it. Mm hmm. Yeah. And you're doing great. With so what it. about you? So <laughs> my, my big idea, my aha kind of comes from the, the idea of the power of finding your voice, both as a, as a writer and, and just as someone studying your own narrative. Right. And mm-hmm. so on page 85, she said the most effective way to foster awareness is by writing down our stories. Um, the goal here is to write what Anne Lamont would call your shitty first draft or, you know, your FSD. So, Mm -hmm. side note, if any of you have any interest whatsoever in writing, get Anne Lamont's book, Bird by Bird, immediately. Um, It may be the closest thing I've found to a Bible. I I try to read that book, like, twice a year, and I absolutely love it. Um, But strangely... It's fantastic. I actually don't recommend a lot of writing books, because most of them are full of shit. Um, But Anne Lamont's book is is legit good. Yeah, and it's about so much more than writing. I mean, it it is just Mm -hmm. wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, But interestingly, that aha, or that big idea, was also joined at the hip with the strong challenge for me this week. Um, So I I was inspired by the same thing I resisted. (laughs) So, I mean, like... (laughs) Could we make this any harder? I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> so our strong challenge is, is what we're resisting or, or where we wanted to put the book down. And um, mm-hmm. and for me, I love the shitty first draft. I've loved it since the yeah. first time I heard Anne Lamont talk about it. I love how Brene Brown uses it. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I struggle with finding a safe space to write one. Um, uh-huh. my fear of the shitty first draft being found and read 
is so strong that it paralyzes oh. me. And so this has happened to me more than once. Um, and when the privacy <gasps> oh, of your, your yes, things. of your, you know, when someone reads something that you've never wanted to be read, the safety around writing dies. And who is going through uh, your things? Well, when I was a kid, okay, so, you don't yeah, have to answer no, that. But I will just say, <laughs> like, I have never had this like inherent sense of privacy. And I've had, um, I've had diaries read. I've had letters, you know, pulled out and read. Um, in oh the seventh God. grade on a <laughs> on the bus on a field trip, I wrote a note to a boy that I liked in my notebook. And my oh. friend was jealous of the boy and she ripped out the note and passed it down the bus. And every oh single person on the bus read it. And I had no idea until we got back to school. Oh, my God. So like that is not a good friend. No, it was not a good friend. She was a very not a good friend. Oh my Um, god! But like we we didn't have this sense of you know privacy in my house as a kid. If you wrote something in a diary, somebody was going to find it and read it. And so um, you know, and for someone like me who is like hardwired to write, it creates like this little mini hell, (gasps) you know. Oh and a locked box doesn't make me feel better and passwords don't make me feel better. And um, so I don't know exactly how to grapple with that. But it was helpful. Like I had not actually connected the dots of that, mm-hmm. that like I want to write as strongly as I don't want to be read. Oh, God. Right. Wow. So there's a perfect conflict box, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously, absolutely. You are you have a great <laughs> internal, internal conflict. conflict. So go over to the how story works, works yes. and you can hear about what I mean by that. Yeah. So. Um, oh my God! Wow, I just, I just, I, I'm so struck by that idea that you don't, you don't have a safe space. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? God, it's so funny. I mean, not funny, haha, funny, tragic. But um, my thing this week is the unshared yes, shitty first draft, right. right? Because I share all of mine. Like, mm-hmm. and this is, you know, because of my thing where I need people to check my reality for right. me. You know, I need people to come and tell me, yes, this is real. You're right, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so. I, so for me, like, you know, my, my strong challenge is the idea of, of writing something, writing a shitty first draft and not having anybody read it yeah. and not having it, like not mm-hmm. intending it to be shared publicly, which is this bizarre thing for me, you yeah. know? Um, and I was actually talking to my therapist about this and she was like, yeah, you need to do this stuff in private. Yeah. <laughs> you need to have a place where you can write. And the thing is, like, I never... I've never, I don't think I've ever had anybody violate my privacy like that. I don't think, or at least not that I've known about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never, you know, like I've written stuff, uh, you know, then again, I don't write very much that I don't share, you know, anyway. Um, But yeah, that's so strange. So I actually did some of that already. I've been writing a little bit. I wrote a little bit in my nice, pretty journal. That's great. And, but I don't like writing this stuff. I want an ugly an ugly, shitty, spiral-bound notebook to write about number two. Yeah. I want everything that has to do with him to just be ugly and shitty. You know, I feel like my 
little pretty journal mm-hmm. is too good for me to write about him. So I'm going to get a crappy ass, there you go. shitty, ugly, spiral bound notebook. And that's where I'm going to write this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I wrote some stuff that, that wasn't to be shared. That was just me writing this stuff out good. and asking myself questions, yeah. you know, like in that process. And, um, and I think that it's, I think that it's valuable, but it's fantastic. Um, you were able to do that. I mean, that's really great. And yeah. when you fill up that shitty journal, uh, you can burn it, mm-hmm. baby. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I, I don't ever want this to be read. I was thinking about, and I don't know where this website is. I'll have to see if I can look it up. But there was this one website that somebody was telling me about where you have to write really fast or the website itself will start write or die. Your, your words. Write or die. Write or die. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yep. So what if you did that? Because the shitty first draft, like, I never want to go back and reread that stuff, you know? So what if you did something where you wrote it out, your shitty first draft stuff, but you didn't keep it? Like, it just it just went ah. to write or die. It just, it just died, That's right? That's a good idea. So that it would just disappear. So you could have the experience of writing it and of having that, that you know, writing it down and getting it out and expressing it. But it would disappear and you would never have to worry about anybody ever reading it. Oh, that's a good idea. I might play around with that. You know? Yeah. So maybe you can do something with I that. Like it. And then you just stop writing. And then as you pause, right. it'll just delete it all. I like it. I might try that. Um, yeah. And I was thinking for you, like, because you, you mm-hmm. need that um, kind of that empathy or that shared experience of, of sharing your draft. There is a lot of research around reading out loud to dogs. And I normally, really? yes, I normally recommend this for children who are having trouble learning how to read out loud or who struggle uh-huh. or who feel self-conscious. So reading out yeah. loud to a dog is um, therapeutic. It's great practice. You only get positive feedback from a dog. The dog loves the sound <laughs> of your is voice. That is very true. The dog, that is you know, they don't care if you yeah. mispronounce a word. So like mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of, of great research around this. Um, and so you can read anything to Pratchett and he is not going to care. And then you'll still kind of have, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but dogs have souls. Like, I don't care what anybody says, you know, um, and then you can burn the pages because, you know. Yeah, that might be fun. But no, you know how I like burning stuff. I know stuff. you like to burn <laughs> stuff, right? I have, little, I have a little fire pit in the backyard. I've seen <laughs> like, a lot of number two things. Totally yeah. with you on that. Um, but yeah, that might be. Oh wow! But I'm, I think it's great that you were able to start that process. I mean, that's really great. Yeah. Well, we'll so. see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, this is the thing, like. This stuff, and this is what I hate about it, is that there's no, like, it's no, like, okay, you do this thing, you get the certificate, and boom, you're done, you know? (laughs) This is a constant fucking process for the rest of my goddamn life. I'm going to have to do this every day. And I find that to be um, really annoying, but I, but it's the reality of it. Like if you don't keep up the practice, it's the same thing with exercise. It's the same thing with diet. Same thing with everything. If you don't keep up the practice, if you don't make it a regular habit, if it doesn't become a part of your life and how you live it, then it's all gonna fall away. Yeah. So it is important yeah. to put it into practice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we've kind of yes. we've kind of bled over into our yes, which is our action or yes. our homework for the week. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do this week? I'm going to buy that crap ass spiral bound notebook for a dollar at Walmart and start filling there it. There you go. Okay, <laughs> good. Just for you. And then I'll burn it. Just for you. <laughs> what about you? Um, I am going, I, I, I wrote I was going to grapple with feeling safe while writing ugly, shitty first drafts. I think I might try write or die. 
Okay. I've used good. it before. I've used it with Nano. Um, yeah. So I, I think I've never used it because the idea of something deleting if I pause like that yeah. would make me so insane. I think I might try that. Uh, um, and now I want to okay. go back to the breathing. I want to try again. Yeah. So. No, that'll be good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. So each week we end with a quote. Um, chapter five opened with a quote by Margaret Atwood. So let's end this episode with a quote by her as well. In the spirit of the courage we gain from telling our stories. So in the words of Margaret Atwood, a voice is a human gift. It should be cherished and used to fully utter human speech as possible. Powerlessness and silence go together. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So here's to (laughs) (laughs) regaining our power by speaking our truth, baby. That's right, baby. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>